Welcome to the audio ministry of Grove Park Baptist Church in Burlington, North Carolina. We pray you will be blessed by today's message. This morning we want to begin by announcing an initiative that we are working on for Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, this year has been a year for many folks that has not been a great year. And it hasn't given them much thought to be thankful, much reason to be thankful. But in some ways, just making it to this point is enough to be thankful for this year. And we want to enable people to celebrate Thanksgiving. And so we're working on a project that we're going to call Operation Big Thing. And Operation Big Thing is going to be a box of food that we can provide to people in need in our community that would feed their family and provide for them a Thanksgiving meal. Tomorrow you will receive an email as to what that will, box will look like and we need your help to, help to fill that box and we're going to give you some specifics on what you can purchase to fill that box. But today I'll give you the three things you already need to be thinking about. Number one is a family-sized can of green beans. That's 39 ounces. Number two is cranberry sauce. Now, some people love it, some people hate it. We're, we're just going to let them figure it out. And, and then finally, uh, Idaho Instant Potatoes. And between that and what we're working on on other fronts, we hope to provide a box that will enable them to celebrate Thanksgiving and give thanks for the fact that they and us have made it through 2020. I invite you to take your copy of God's Word now and turn to James chapter 4. James 4. Would you pray with me? Lord, we again ask for you to speak. To speak through your word. To speak through your spirit, stirring and motivating us through the power of your word. That we would be able, Lord, to hear from you and be changed by you to look more like you in a world that needs to see you. Father, bless me with the words that are needed for those gathered here as we make our prayer now in Jesus' name. Amen. When Eliza and I began dating, it became apparent that there was a divide between us that we were going to need to figure out how to cross. You see, she grew up in eastern 
Maryland. I grew up in eastern North Carolina. And if you drive from eastern North Carolina to eastern Maryland, one thing becomes readily apparent, and that is that the rate in which people speak intensifies and increases. After my first trip to Snow Hill to meet the family, her sisters asked her, could I ever speed up in how I talked? I had a long-range plan, though, to slow her down. So I married her, took her to Eastern North Carolina, and after a while, her family began noticing she was talking slower. I was trying to listen faster, but she was talking slower. She got immersed in all of these slow talkers. And then she went and started teaching at Northeast Randolph and the team that she was teaching with was filled with all these people from up north who speak at a rate much faster than I do. So she started speeding up a little bit. And then Jessica came and started living with us and she sped back up. And now in the six or seven months since Mike and Laura have been with us, I've noticed that they're all talking fast. <laughs> I don't know if I've gotten any faster over time or not. But, you know, if being immersed in, say, eastern North Carolina will speed, will slow down how you speak, imagine the other impacts of where you find yourself weighing in on who you are as a person and changing who you are. Particularly if you are in a new place and in a foreign place, as James is speaking to this morning. There is a danger for us to look more and more like the place we are and less and less like the God who calls us. And so we need to be aware of that. And we need to know where the process begins for us to stop looking like Christ and start looking more and more like the environment around us. In James chapter 1, James chapter 4, verse 1, he tells us what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Quite simply, beloved, when we start comparing ourselves to other folks, that's when we start to change. And clearly what they're, they're seeking after here is not good stuff. They're desiring after things that the, the scriptures, the word in the scripture says are forbidden things. They're, they're coveting after things 
that are things that are not needs, but that they are wants. You generally don't covet needs. You covet wants. And when we start comparing ourselves to other folks around us, we start simply saying to God, God, what you have given me is not enough. God, what you have willed for my life is not enough. God, what your plans are for me is not enough. I want to look like everyone else, God. I don't necessarily want to look like what you want me to look like. And it causes an absolute war within us. The impacts of which play out in every facet of our faith. Notice at the end of verse number two, he says, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It, it impacts our faith, our, our, our prayer life. It causes us to pray for things that we shouldn't be praying for. We pray to grow close to God. We pray to know more about God. We pray to seek what God's will is for our lives. We don't pray to God for our wish list, particularly when our wish list takes us away from what God is calling us to when we're comparing ourselves and wanting to be someone else, we are essentially saying to God, God, I don't want to be who you've called me to be. I want to be them. And beloved, I can tell you that you can be praying right things, things that would normally be said to be great and wondrous things, but you can be praying them for the wrong reason. I know many colleagues who are praying for God to grow their churches. And, they, and, and we would all agree that that is a wondrous thing, right? We're praying for God to grow a church. But they're not praying for God to grow the church so that the kingdom of God expands, so that souls are saved from hell. They're praying so that the church grows bigger and they look more important. They're praying so that they can say to others, look what we have. How do I know that? It's the Monday morning phone call. Monday morning phone calls with a lot of pastors involves two questions. How many did you have yesterday? And what was the size of your collection? Now, beloved, if ministers do that, who are the leaders of the church, I can only think that lay people do it as well. What are you praying for? Are you praying for right reasons? Or are you praying for wrong reasons? When you're comparing yourself to everyone else around you to be like them, your prayer life is not going to be reflecting Right reasons. 
And because our prayer life is going to get off kilter, our relationship with God is going to get off kilter. Notice verse number four. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. When we cease to seek the will of God for our lives, when we cease to seek to know what God wants to make us to be, we have to have some other thing to impose. And so we impose our will, our wants, and we say, God, I know better than what you know <clears throat> about the situation. And that places us at war with God. It puts us into an adulterous relationship, he says quite clearly here, because we're running around on God with the world and not seeking what he wants. Beloved, you and I do not know best. We think we do. But we don't know everything. I wished I could tell you <clears throat> what it is that I'm going to have for lunch today. It's about another 30, I don't know what time it is, maybe 40 minutes before I'm going to head toward getting something for lunch. But I guarantee you I don't know where it's going to be. I don't even have a clue right now where it's going to be. I don't even know if I'm going to make it to lunch. But God does. God knows everything. And when I say that I know best, I'm saying that my knowledge is greater than His. And guess what? That's a lie. His knowledge is always going to be greater. His will is always going to be greater. And I don't need to place myself in opposition to God. He seeks continuously to, through the power of His Spirit, make us more and more in the image of Him. And when we compare ourselves to anything but Him, we fight and say, we know what is best. And it makes us an enemy with God. And indeed, it puts us in opposition to God. Such that we lose out on what I believe to be one of the great gifts of God. And that is His grace. Notice verse number 6. But He gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The more we say we know best, the more we try to compare and look like everyone else, but except and, and forsake who God is trying to make us to look like Himself, the less grace we have, the less grace we're feeding on. Because He is opposing us and we are opposing Him. Beloved, we should never, ever, ever seek to want to miss on knowing more grace. 
Do you remember buffets? It's this thing we had about eight months ago. You go and there was this long line of food and you could go taste a little bit of everything. Well, one of our favorite places to go was a place in Durham called Rock and Roll Sushi. It's sushi on a conveyor belt. And it just comes by and you get, you open the little window, you grab the sushi you want, you pull it out, you close the little window. There's all this sushi. And so I never tried, I, I always wanted to try a little bit of everything. I may not like it, but I was afraid I might miss something. Beloved, grace is like that. And we should always try to find to seek new grace, more grace. God's well of grace is bottomless. And we should continually seek to find new experiences of grace. To know deeper His love and care for us. And when we look outward to other things and compare ourselves to other things and try to be like other things, then we're not being the grace-filled people that He is calling us to be. We should never, ever leave grace on the table. I was having lunch one day with a colleague who pastored a much larger church than ours at Sandy Branch. And he looked at me all of a sudden and he said, I wish I pastored your church. I was like, I don't understand. He said, I wish I had a church like yours that went and did all the things that your church goes and does. And I learned something right then. That you should never want someone else's headache. God didn't call him to have my headache. He called him to have his headache. To experience the grace he needed. Like I experienced the grace I needed. And when I go try to get someone else's headache, beloved... I'm missing out on my grace and I'm causing myself more trouble. So how do we fix this problem? Well, the scripture says in verse number seven, submit yourselves therefore to God. Say to yourself, God, you are the one in authority. I'm not the one in authority. God, you know the plans. I don't know the plans. God, I can seek to want to be everyone else or I can seek the best, which is what you want for my life. God, I want to experience you in the fullness of who you are. And to do that means that I have to be the person you have called me to be. So, Lord, I give up. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to submit to what you say, Lord. And I'm not going to go follow someone else. But he doesn't stop there. Notice the next line. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
It doesn't just stop with submission, beloved. <clears throat> we must understand that when we try to compare ourselves with everyone else and be like everyone else, that is the schemes of the devil trying to throw us off the track. And we can't treat it passively. We can't. Because every time we treat it passively, it's going to trip us up. It is nothing, beloved, to laugh about with what the devil is trying to do. It is everything to understand that we must fight it. You know, yesterday, I was watching the Carolina game. And at one point, our uh, wide receiver is running. No, he's our running back, pardon me. Our running back is running. And he's got all these state guys in front of him. Now, the normal Christian would just look and say, okay, thank you. I'll stop right here. There would be no resisting, right? But you know what he did? He put his head down and he plowed through them. I mean, he knocked them every which way. And he kept going forward. Beloved, you and I have to resist. We've got to resist with all the strength and power of God within us. And when we do, did you hear what the Scripture says? He will flee. The reason why he doesn't flee too often is the fact that we don't resist him. We just sort of welcome him and put our arm around him and say, let's go for a walk. But when we resist him... He flees. And so to resist him more and more, we need to hear the next part that says, draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. We need to know that we must walk with God each and every day. We cannot walk by ourselves. But we need to get closer and closer and closer to God. We need our eyes filled with God. We need our eyes filled with the vision that God has for our lives, for the plan that God has for our lives. We need to be able to see the grace, mercy, and love of God everywhere. And when we see the grace, love, and mercy of God everywhere we look, suddenly the ability to resist becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. But we cannot do it alone. We cannot do it in our strength. We must do it in the strength that God gives to us. And so, beloved, there should be no separation between us and God. No separation. I may have told this story before. I have. I apologize. One day, we're doing Bible study club in Chatham Central. And that right before we had moved to the auditorium. And so there were kids packed in everywhere. I mean, they were just in the floor. They were sitting on seats. They were sitting on tables. They were everywhere. We didn't have room enough for them. And so there were some kids over in the far corner. And I couldn't see them where I was. And the sponsor walked in. It was in her classroom. She walked in and she saw them as soon as she... she uh, 
walked in the door and all of a sudden I hear her say, she called their names and she says, leave room for Jesus. In other words, they were a little too close to one Now, beloved, is your walk with Christ such that you're sitting that close with Him that nothing can get between you? You know, we'll sit real close to our sweetie. We'll sit real close to our child. We'll hug them tight so that nothing can get between us and them. But we'll let God go off to the side when what God desires to do is to be stuck to us so that nothing can get to us. Now, inevitably, beloved, what is going to get between us and Him, as we have already stated, is us making those comparisons. And so we need to repent. The rest of verse 8 says, Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. We have to turn around. We have to quit playing games with God. We have to quit finding mirth in the playing of games with God and get serious about faith and say, God, cleanse me. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to be singularly minded on you. I want to know more about you every single day. I want to experience grace upon grace upon grace. Lord, I want to know your love and the infiniteness of your love. Lord, I want you to wow me every day. Now, Lord, I know that that means that I have to quit comparing myself to everyone else. So, Lord, forgive me of that and just give me you. I don't know what's best, Lord. You do. That's a hard thing, beloved. That is a hard thing. One of the worst questions Eliza can ever ask me when we are somewhere is, do you know where we're going? Because I don't want to say to her, no, honey, I don't know where I am right now. I don't want to make her go look for directions. I want to, to say, I, I know I'm in control. Beloved, that's not what we should say to God. We should say, God, I don't even know what the next turn looks like. God, you've got to be in control. And therefore, we must humble ourselves under His loving care. And in doing so, beloved, all those things that we seek after, all those things that we compare on the other side to, all those things we think we want. Do you notice what he says here at the end? And he will exalt you. The word exalt there means to prosper. He will cause you to prosper. You know, I told him in the first service that the thing in life I wanted most was a fountain power boat. 
I wanted a red fountain power boat with a black stripe down the side. I don't even boat or fish. But I want a red fountain power boat. You know, God may not give you a red fountain power boat. He may just give you a basic junk boat. But he'll make you prosper such that that boat almost will sink because of the haul of fish you can pull in. You might not catch anything on the, on the power boat, but there you might catch something far greater. I've said before, I had a long list of things that I thought I wanted the future Mrs. Sanders to have. And my list and God's list did not match. But God gave me the best thing I could ever want or need or have when he sent me the fast-talking girl from Maryland. He prospered me. And he will prosper you. Once we quit comparing ourselves to everyone else, once we rest in God's best instead of our wants, once we say, Lord, the only imitation I want to be is an imitation of you. I want to be the best me by being an imitation of you and not being an imitation of everyone else. Once we understand that God has set us apart for specific things, He didn't assign them to anyone else, He assigned them to us. And because He set us apart, therefore we are holy. That is what holy means. It means to be set apart. And so the holier we become, it doesn't mean the more perfect necessarily we become. It means the more set apart and used by God we become. And our task, beloved, is not to look more and more like the world. Our task is to look more and more like God and more and more holy, therefore. You know, there's any number of things that people say, why? The church in the world is failing. There's all sorts of studies done of why we're not reaching this age demographic or that demographic. But I'm just going to lay it flat out. The reason why I believe the church is so weak in the modern world, particularly in modern America, is that we quit trying to imitate God and we're trying to imitate everyone else. We quit trying to be who God wanted us to be and we tried to be who we wanted to be thinking we would please Him. And in the end, all we show the world is what they already see. And who wants to fall in love with that? When if we showed them more Jesus, if we imitated Him a little bit more, 
then we would see the world change. Who are you imitating today, beloved? Who are you imitating? Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to be anybody else. We just want to be who you've called us to be. The world needs little Christians, little Christ. They don't need people who are running after their own agendas, who are running after things that are not you. So Lord, help us to stop comparing, except comparing ourselves to you. Help us to humble ourselves and submit ourselves that, Lord, we can show forth you to a dying world. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please join us next Sunday for worship either in person at 9 or 11 a.m. at 108 Trail 1, Burlington, North Carolina, or at 11 a.m. on Facebook Live. For more information and resources on our church, please visit groveparkchurch.net. And remember, grace abounds.